Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. So, Celine, it, yeah. sounds, like, it sounds like you live in a nicer place than I do. You know, it's looking like maybe the coasts have swapped places for a while. Um that's uh, yeah. We we both had events this weekend, and I. It looks like you had a hell of a race, even though I was supposed to be <laughs> at a hell of a race. I was at a hell. I was at Hell of Hunterton, which is one of the uh, really big Kermesse sport events. It's uh, eight hundred people. Yeah, were on the line. Yeah, it's a, it's it's their biggest one for sure, and it was a. Uh, it was sunny. I had or arm warmers to start. You know, it was a little chilly. It was nippy in the morning, let's say. Uh-huh. Uh, but it ended up being 57 degrees. We had some stiff breezes to contend with. It was, you know, a little a uh, little challenging. It was, I mean, it's, it is, even though the weather, it was, he did say it was the best weather of all the 11 years of the event. Uh, but it is still 84 miles and 6,700 feet of climbing or something. I know it's still a very, it's still a very long day. But right. um, anyway, and, and I have to tell you, because I don't want to forget, uh, Brian hung a little red kite prayer flag 1K from the finish. Not just a red kite, but a red kite prayer. It said RKP. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was very cool. It was he- very cool. He's such a good dude. He was actually a teammate years and years ago when he was living yeah, in LA. Yeah, he mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. We were both members of the uh, South Bay Wheelmen. Uh, I was really bummed when he moved away, but it sounds like he's done something really brilliant for himself because he was not a race promoter in Southern California. And now he's one of the more interesting race promoters in the country. Yeah. No, the events are great. So Yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead and rub that part in, would you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't so, gotten to anyway. do any of them yet. That was uh, that was my hellish ride. How is how is California? How's the um, sunshine? It's not the sunshine state, the golden state. Well, you know, when I decided to move north from Southern California, <laughs> I didn't anticipate that I was moving to Seattle with more rain. I mean, the, the whole thing about the Pacific Northwest is, you know, it may rain continuously, but you might only get a quarter of an inch of rain in a day. Totally. It's just, it's just, it's just in the air. It's just, it's, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that is, that is, n- n- no. I, I, I mean, I could live with that. Uh, I mean, recently we set a record for the amount of rainfall in Santa Rosa in a 24 hour period of time. It was north of five inches. It's so much rain. It, that is so much rain. We have had thunder today. We have had hail today. Wow. Today, yeah, yeah. Today. I was I was actually a little bit concerned about us recording because I didn't want thunder in the background of a recording. It's tough <laughs> enough drowning out all the stupid window. trucks that drive by. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. So 
Last weekend was one of the grasshoppers. It's the only uh, mountain fish bike. Rock, right? That was two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. okay. I'm okay. I'm yeah, sorry, you're I'm you're Which behind. Uh, oh, so or wait, no, three three weeks ago. Or no, come on. Because fish rock. So this past weekend was Lake Sonoma mountain bike race. The oh. weekend before okay. was Nabs. The weekend before that was Fish Rock. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, Thank heaven for those wonderful interviews you've done. Oh, no problem. Yes. Uh, Okay. So last weekend was almost like a normal winter day in Northern California. It started (laughs) out in the 50s and I think mostly cloudy, if not completely cloudy. And the temperature did briefly rise up to something like 70 degrees at the top of one of the climbs. But okay. most of the time it was down in the 50s and we had mud, the likes of which I have not seen since I raced Mount Snow last, which would have been something like 1993. Huh. Yeah. It was, I mean, I, well, I'll post a photo of the bike that I raced because the bike, which is ordinarily black, is brown in this photo. Wow. There was so much, so, there was so much mud that I threw my chain four times. Oh my. Oh. On a one by system. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Wow. I and And you were also illing, weren't you? Were I, you I am I am currently sick and if I hadn't done that race, I would not be in the running. Uh well, I wouldn't have been able to get the finisher's medal for doing right, the right. entire grasshopper series. And I don't know, but I kind of suspect that I might be bucking for a top ten in the fifty plus category right oh. now. Maybe. And that would be sort of coolish. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. No, that's cool. But um, Saturday was, we're going to call it easier than what I experienced at Fish Rock, which was six hours, six and a half hours, something like. And I don't think the temperature ever got above like 52 degrees. It was reasonable yeah. enough at the start. It was, uh, the sun was actually, you know, well, there was some, some broken crap, broken clouds in spots before the start. And then three miles into the event, it was raining. It, we rode into the mountains and that was that, that, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was the hardest day I've ever had on the bike in my life. I saw snow. I rode through slush. We had <laughs> Just torrential rain at times. You know, the kind of rain where you can see it bouncing off the pavement. Yes. There yes, was a, I know that rain. There was a poor guy who evidently has been overusing his Tide Pods. And <laughs> I, saw, I saw his, that pose. Yeah. His, he had a foaming taint. We call it the foaming taint here. I have a friend who... Uh, who falls prey to the foaming taint syndrome sometimes. They don't rinse your shorts enough. And like, yeah, the yeah. suds, it's amazing. I just, I looked at him and I was like, God, he's got to be uncomfortable. I just, I felt so badly for him. You know, it's like, man, what? Guy, what he's does clean. That even- <laughs> he had a good start on the wash. Um, yeah. And then, you know, once I was actually on the road of Fish Rock, which is a mostly dirt road, you know, most of its length. And, you know, at times 18, 20% in pitch, just, just keeping control on the descents and I managing when you're to that turn cold, over the pedals. I, I, I was very hard when you're yeah, that cold. My hands were so numb 
at the finish. Well, I didn't ride to the food. I just rode straight back to my car because, yeah. you know, suffering, right? <laughs> I got in the car, got in the back seat, and started trying to get the velo toes off my feet. And my hands were too numb to do it. I spent at least 15 minutes working them off, rocking back totally and forth. I totally see that. Those things are so hard to get off when you have dexterity and your hands are like blocks trying to yeah. get those off. Yeah, I just, I was hooking my thumbs up under them, just like hooks and, <laughs> and pushing. And, you know, you're so tired, you don't have your ordinary strength either. So, seriously, Fish Rock was the hardest day I've ever had on the bike in my life. I've just never seen anything like it. I, I looked, one of the neat things, I think I've mentioned this before, one of the really neat things about the Wahoo element is that I have a mm -hmm. very different perspective on what sort of temperatures I ride in than I used to. You know, you look at a weather forecast and it says 72 and you go out and you ride and you come back and it's like, oh, that was a nice, pleasant day. Well, you know, if it's a really sunny day, you might have hit a spot where it was 84 degrees and there might have right. been a, a shady spot where it was only 65. Well, this whole business with cold, wet weather here, I'm finding out that I've been riding through stuff that I would never have guessed at otherwise. It was 32 degrees at one point <laughs> during that race. And it wasn't just, oh, briefly in the 30s. It was down in the 30s for hours. So you have that on your screen while you're riding? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I was like, don't. I, no. When people do that, I'm just like, what are you doing to yourself? Don't do that to yourself. No, this don't. is in, in the subsequent download, you know. Okay. You, once okay. you get all the data. Because you can't lie to yourself that you're okay if you see 32 at the, on the screen. I could. I lie to myself all day. I there's no. Yeah. yeah, I'm too much of go, a oh, mental. so bad. Right. I'm too much of a yeah. mental case to be given that kind of information. I, it <laughs> Way will, too much. Yeah, it will do things to me and I will, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if I'd seen 32 degrees when I was out somewhere past Point Arena, I don't know what sort of response I would have had other than just being wildly discouraged. <laughs> it's like, no wonder I hurt so much. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was quite a day, you know, and unlike so often, I love doing these harder events because... I end up going someplace inside mm -hmm. and learning something about myself, you know, yep. especially in, in the writing about the event afterward. The, the epiphanies don't so much come during the writing. It comes during the writing. And this was an unusual occasion for me in that I, I get the piece written and I only came up with a question. I didn't come up with any fresh insights. I came up with a question and it's one I don't know how to answer. When is enough enough? When is an event too hard? Hmm. Did, uh, did a lot of people not finish it? There was a big chunk of people who didn't finish. As a yeah. matter of fact, they're running a little uh, redo or reunion for people in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's the same weekend as Sea Otter. So I, I can't feel like that's usually the answer. Like, if you look around and the attrition is just off the charts, yeah, enough is enough. And cold rain is enough is enough. I, it's just like that. That'll make any day exponentially. Yeah. I mean, you're already doing something really hard. And then that. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I mean, the funny thing is, like, n name a kind of water coming out of the sky. Fog, <laughs> rain, uh, mist, sleet. 
snow. I mean, I covered most of them. I'm not an Eskimo, so I don't have the 200 different words for snow. But, you know, I covered all the major food groups of precipitation. It does sound that way, yes. I, and the funny thing is, if it was 50 degrees, remember what we said about my superpower? What you defined yes. as my superpower? Yes. 50 degrees in rain? Man, bring it. Compared to what I've been through, that would be indefinite <laughs> upgrade in weather. You are being tested. That is that is true. That is true. So I, um, yeah, this is going to be a low key weekend for me coming up. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. I can do some re- regrouping as an order. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, what do you got? Well, before we get to the poll, I just want to mention because I think it's very cool that um, we have we have been helping some people. Uh, I got a message from. Ted Jones, who said that the story that we did on Mark Weir inspired him to get checked. And he, uh, you know, he had some problems that got caught. Like his, it might have saved him from a major heart attack. So, yeah, very, very cool. Uh, He, you know, was having some, you know, like uh, just some of the same things like, oh, like different feelings. And that story about Mark Weir escaping the widow maker by the skin of his teeth. Uh Um inspired him to go get an ECG and for sure enough they uh, he had hypertrophy you know it all he had some problems so and he's got them checked out so that I thought was really cool and exciting uh, and then I heard from a friend of mine who was inspired from the uh, Jess Sarah story uh-huh. who she had the impingement in her femoral artery if you remember and yep. uh, my friend Joan's been been sort of battling the same thing and she's like it was a light bulb moment like Hmm. Maybe that's what has been bothering me for so long. So just wow. wanted to throw that out there. I thought it was really cool that uh, some people are benefiting from our little tales here. That's tremendous. You know, I, I, I care a lot less about the fact that we've helped contribute than just the fact that they've gotten the help they need. That's, oh, for sure. That's for sure. awesome. Um, yeah, no. You know, and yeah, if we can help, then terrific. Boy. Uh, so cool. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, my 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 poll this week, I wanted to talk. I was a little I had I had some thoughts during the uh, hell of hundred in because it was a nice day. I had time to let my wa- my mind wander. Go ahead. Rub it, and, in, uh, rub it in. Nice day. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. It, but it got me thinking. And actually, I think about this at a lot of these events and I always have. So I was thinking about pacing and the concept of matches. It, I, I, I mm-hmm. Anytime I do these, because I am I'm the kind of person, I have a really strong central regulator, right? Like I go out like, and I know like what pace I can hold for three hours, what pace I can hold for six hours, what pace I can hold for 10. Like I just, I just, I've all, and maybe that's why I sort of gravitate to these things. Cause I do, I don't know, but I've always like, I, I, I'm not the kind of person that just goes out and just blows up. You know I uh-huh. mean? It's just, I, I've, I've had some bad nutritional mishaps, you know, right. But, sure but, I, yeah, but that's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's different. That's different. So I know how many matches I can burn on a given day, but man, I see a whole lot of people who seem to not know that they have a matchbook that maybe, <laughs> that maybe There's a finite is a good, of them. It's good, right. It's a good thing. I mean, I was doing, it's, I, I keep thinking I was doing the spring classic last year and we were like 48 miles in. And it's well over 80 miles and almost kisses 7,000 feet of climbing. 
And there's this, you know, we're on this path that's like 13%. It hits 30%. And there's this guy that's been behind me. And I hear him breathing like a freight train. Just like, (gasps) like really, really breathing. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, how are you still here? And, you know, then he would drift back. And, like, all he he did this. I started to count. Like, you know, because we're going through this whole section of all these hills. And I just kept going, okay, he's huffing. Oh, now it's gone. I can't hear him breathing. And I counted nine before he just disappeared. Like that was, and then I, yeah, and then I didn't see him. But, you know, it was over the course of quite a while while we were doing all these big climbs that he would just come up and I'd hear him breathing. And then we'd get on the flats and he'd start talking and be like, oh, no, no. But I I just, I was just like, how, it mystified me. So do you know what I mean when I'm talking about matches? Am I making sense to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because okay. my matchbook is really on, on the uh, lean side. <laughs> so to people who, who who don't, it's I actually this is cool. I interviewed uh, Hunter Allen. Do you know who you know? You must know Hunter Allen. Hunter yeah. Allen wrote um, training and racing with a power meter. He's a huge power meter training guy. He's tra- yeah. Mr. Training Peaks. I mean, he is a giant authority on numbers of all kinds. He loves data. So he had actually uh, set out to define a match. Ooh. Like, yeah, which is kind of cool, right? Yeah, yeah, what is a match? Um, He said, you can define it as an effort in which you push past your threshold power by at least 20% and hold it there for at least one minute. So that was his, like, global definition. And then he extrapolated from that. Um, so at lower intensity, but still above threshold efforts, you can still burn matches if you hold them long enough, right? So for mm-hmm. instance, if you're chasing someone up a slight grade for 10 minutes, hovering 10% above your threshold, you're still burning a match. Yeah. So then he shared this, this chart with me. So like one minute at 20 plus percent over your threshold power, you know, you're you're burning a match. You know, five minutes, you got 15 to 20% over it. 10 minutes at 8 to 12% over it. And then 20 minutes at like 8, you know, 8% over it. So he, the, 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 that is his, and then how many of those matches you have is a very individual thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's personal, it's training. Um, but it just fascinates me when I'm at these big events and I see it all the time. I mean, you see people drilling it off the start. Like, yeah, yes. like drilling it off the start. And then you'll see many of them completely cracked later. Like not mm-hmm. just not just settling in. Like I kind of get like you want to get the selection. I can't, you know, I get that. Like you're going to yeah. go a little harder maybe to be with the pack you want. And then everyone settles down and you settle down in your pack and you do what you're thing. But I'm talking about like the large number of people I see who aren't doing that. They're just like they, they're just going off like a cannon and then exploding you know, two hours and, and then going backwards the rest of the time. And that makes me wonder, like, is it because they're throwing all caution to the wind or do they not do they not practice pacing themselves? So they are, are they so excited with the day that they're just getting wrapped up in it and they don't even know that they're burning matches? So I was just like, I don't know. I, what are your experiences and thoughts with? Oh, I've never blown up. I mean, I'm much too smart for that. <laughs> Yes, this, is that, this would is be where everyone laughs riotously. Uh, I, I am, I am somebody who has made exactly that mistake in the past. You know, I'm, huh. yeah, I'm just as guilty as any other cat six. Uh, 
I mean, so did recently. you know what you were doing or were you just like freaking going for it and then you just exploded? Or were you not looking at numbers or metrics? It, like what? It was it was the adrenaline rush of the opening of the race and I've got to be here. And it's the this voice in your head of I've got to be here. I can't just sit up and let this go. I am gotcha. racing. This is a race. I'm supposed to be right here because this is where the race is because we're racing. If we're not here in the race, then we're not racing. So you got to <laughs> race. And there's just this un, you know, unstoppable voice that's driving you to this thing. And until you've got a certain level of experience in terms of not just doing a lot of events, but doing an event and that biofeedback loop of noting what your wattage is or what your heart right. rate is and knowing, you know, oh, I'm writing a whole string of bad checks here. Right. Um, and, you know, until you're clear on what burning a match is or what a bad check is, you're going to make that mistake. And I think that that's the primary thing that we see when people go out hard and just blow spectacularly. Yeah. But there's also, there's another slice of people who, and I'm not sure they would define it this way, but it's what I think I see when it happens is there are a lot of people who are reasonably fit, have some idea what's going on with their body. And they're at this event to see, well, what do I have? It's yeah, totally. It's the, I get that. It's the test piece that the yep. FTP test ought to be. Right. Yeah. No, I, I get that. And I think that's a bit of a different animal. I mean, there's yeah. definitely people who are just, it's sort of a little bit of an ex physiological experiment for them. And I, great. Yeah. I mean, I get, I, I can understand that. I yeah. don't know if I'd be able to do that though. I would, I don't know. My central regulator is so strong. Sometimes I think, I wonder if my central regulator, um, Holds me back is a strong word, but like if I could push past my central regulator more. But what what is your percentage rate of winning when you in, in, enter an event? Oh, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I, when I was very training very seriously, I won a lot. I mean, that's that's true. Okay, yeah, can you so. just stop now? <laughs> but I, I holding I you know. back. <laughs> could could you achieve more? I, well, well, it I wasn't. Mean, I wasn't. No, I'm not looking for more hardware. I was just. It was just like more of a philosophical question. Perhaps. Sure. No, I, I yeah. get that. I mean, cause yeah. there was Ayrton Senna at Monaco back in whatever that was at 89 when he was humiliating his own teammate who was in second place. And he was not, he was no longer racing the field. He was racing himself. And then he crashed out. <laughs> so when he was upset, he was upset with himself. Right. right. So I, I get what it means to pursue, you know, something within you that you're not really racing the rest of the field at that point. And I, that is, you know, for you, for someone who does have such a, a finely developed fitness and sense of what your abilities are, it does become a really interesting question. Yeah. And they, I mean, they do know, um, they being sports scientists that I mean, there are people, and it's a terrible idea, and I hope they never figure it out. I mean, they're tr they try to figure out, like, how to circumvent or, you know, override the governor, you know, because, uh -huh. because we, are, we are governed to protect ourselves. <laughs> At the end of the day, we, we have this, whatever, whatever your central governor is, it's actually just trying to keep you alive, um, you know, right. so you don't 
Yeah. Well, and that's the funny thing, you know, because it truly is adrenaline at the opening of an event. It's fight or flight, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's what does override the governor. Right. Right. But that burns off. That that's that's a, a temporary. You're not all adrenalized for three hours of a of an event. Well, how long does it? Oh, come on. How long does adrenaline? It's it can't. How long does it last? Well, if if the conditions are right in terms of you continually perceiving, in a in a manner of speaking, threats, you know that oh mm, we're okay. still we're still in crunch time. Oh, it's still in crunch time. Oh, it's still, good lord, there goes another attack. It's, I mean, from what I understand about doing the big World Cup races, you know, Perry Roubaix, the way the guys mm-hmm. are just slamming into each other to get into the cobbles ahead, one place ahead of somebody else. I think there are occasions out there there are circumstances where you are on high alert for two three four five hours Uh, you've got to have an exquisite level of fitness to be able to have your body maintain that yeah for sure Uh, there was a a really interesting comment on rkp just the other day uh from one of our our readers who said you know he just doesn't have the fitness level to generate the wattage to be warm enough to finish something like what fish rock was and that's a it's a really interesting thing. Yeah. To be able to go that deep and have your body stay on high alert that way. It's not something just anybody can do. Yeah. I hadn't thought about, I read that comment and I hadn't thought about it in that, through that prism either. It's interesting, but it's, it's, it is, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, and I, that brings up other, that's a little tangential, but I remember doing, on the opposite side of that, like trying to, uh, I was shepherding at sort of a beginner ride and it was very cold. Mm-hmm. And the people that I was shepherding were working hard enough that they were comfortable. <laughs> I was dying. I mean, I, you know, and that's not just, but I, but I was, I mean, cause it was well, it was walking pace, honestly, at times. Right, right. And I, it's the coldest I've been on a bike ever. I mean, I just turned into a block of ice because I just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Right. And you didn't have much insulation to help you. I could have used a puffy jacket as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I so, was not dressed for that. I, I mean, that's a little bit of that is on me, but I, I just hadn't anticipated. I just hadn't anticipated that. I hadn't played that role like that before. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. had I had I known, man, I would have really, I would have dressed way differently. I yeah, dressed I, to ride, you know. I bumped <laughs> into that once myself, and the realization that, oh yeah, we, I need to be good to these people I'm with. I can't be a jerk. Well, I could. I mean, that's certainly an option. I didn't. That's not the option I wanted to take. Right. So, no. These are beginner to, riders, you know, so I didn't want to be like. That'd be a giant jerk, right? So I just, just like, yeah. you are just going to turn blue and you're going to suck it up because that's uh, kind of yeah. what I did. Yeah. Boy, what a thing. <laughs> anyway, so I will pull off. And uh, what do you have for us this week? Okay. Well, uh, we got uh, a question from a listener regarding travel bikes. There were a bunch of technical travel bikes, questions. like things that you travel with, not long travel bikes that you huck off of things with. Oh, yeah. Fair, fair distinction. Yes. This is a bike that you would take on a plane with you and assemble once you get to your destination. 
Got it. So there were technical questions regarding, you know, what makes for a good travel bike, but it's easiest just to read the question. Uh, so he asks about uh, SRAM's wireless shifting. Seems like mm. an ideal solution for travel bikes, particularly given that more affordable options may be coming soon. Uh, he's referring to, yeah, there's going to be another group from them announced shortly. Uh, however, the newer groups are all moving in the direction of hydraulic disc brakes, which pose a separate set of challenges for a bike that needs to be disassembled. Would you build a travel bike with hydraulic brakes? If so, how would you deal with the rear brake in particular in terms of design and assembly disassembly process? If the only option is removing the brake, I've heard post mount might be easier than flat mount for this sort of thing. And then he says, I don't yet own any bikes with flat mount brakes. Is that true? And honestly, they're all great questions. They're all really important questions to ask if you're looking at building up a travel bike. But they lead, in my opinion, back to a larger conceptual question. And that is, what are the elements of an ideal travel bike? Before we get to shifting and braking, I want to take a moment to address the frame, which is really the crux of this situation. Anyone who plans to travel with a travel bike uh, regularly would do well to either purchase a coupled frame uh, or get an existing frame retrofitted. Traveling with a full-size case is just too damn expensive unless you're flying Southwest or Alaska. The Ritchie system is really good, but it has some limitations if you're uh, reasonably tall because uh, on the larger frames, the top tube stays full length. It doesn't get chopped down any, and so fitting that in a case can be hard. I'm a big fan of SNS couplers. I've had one frame retrofitted with them, and then I've got my travel bike, and I also got my tandem built with SNS couplers because if I ever uh -huh. need to put it in a car, that's about the only way it's going to fit. And I've already done that a couple times. It's very helpful. I have yet to fly with it. Um, and then there's an interesting development also on the frame front in that Santana's Z couplers, which if I recall correctly are patented, uh, are now going to be licensed for use by other builders. So that's a, it's a super clean system. I mean, when it's assembled, you just don't really even see it. And it's every bit as stable as SNS couplers. Now on to components. So yes, ETAP is a great solution for a travel bike. It speeds disassembly and reassembly. Braking is another matter. Traditional calipers, you know, rim brakes, uh, are real, they really make packing quicker. I can't speak to differences between post mount and flat mount brakes um, because I've, I've not dealt with uh, flat mount brakes on my travel bike. I don't think it's going to make a whole lot of difference. And that's only because I don't actually remove my rear brake from my frame. So when I, I had my seven retrofitted for hydraulic discs, initially it was, I was running cables and using cable actuated discs, but the cable kept getting fouled with debris and the power just wasn't sufficient for the places I was riding or perhaps the way I ride. So I removed the brake uh, on the front from the fork, but not the rear. When I had that seven retrofitted, I was concerned about having to cut zip ties for each and every flight. But it turns out that I can slide the hose through the zip ties and generate enough length between the front and rear triangles so that I can pack them without cutting zip ties or removing the brake. It makes getting the frame into the case a little more challenging. Um, 
it's you're just trying to manage more with only two hands where a third or fourth might be hap, uh, helpful. But it's it's very doable. Other considerations for a design that doesn't require removal, uh, let me rephrase that. Other concerns in terms of making uh, a bike that's easily assembled and disassembled, ideally you don't want to have to remove the fork or the crank. Uh, both of those processes add considerable time to assembly and disassembly. And then there's the fact that the less mechanically inclined you are, the less you're going to want to screw around with that. Last one, think twice before running tubeless. I've heard multiple stories about tires deflated just enough to fit the case, burping in flight, and mm-hmm. then sealant getting all over the bike and the inside of the case. I, you know, that's just, I, yeah, even though I'm, I'm traveling with a gravel bike, it's, it's tubes inside those tires. I might have to rethink wow. this for travel, uh, for dirty Kansas. You this have summer. to rethink this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm that's not a might. You must rethink that for. And I'm I'm I'll let you finish before I finish. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's most of it. I okay. you know, I'm I really am a big believer in having a travel bike for anybody who does travel regularly. It's so worth it. I mean, it's the difference. If you can do um if you can do like a backpack and then a, a roll-on bag that, you know, you you put in the overhead, and then your only checked bag is your bike. Very often, it means you're traveling with your bike for twenty five bucks, not one hundred and fifty bucks. Right. So right. at you know saving two hundred and fifty dollars every single flight you make, that frame pays for itself in a hurry. Yeah, I mean, I, it. I don't feel like I travel well. I'll, I'll say this: bike flights. I'm not mm-hmm. one to usually travel with my bike. I'm one to ship it. Uh-huh. So um, that kind of eliminates all that stuff for me because I'm, I'm just shipping. I'm just using bike flights and just shipping it kind of as it is. I have, I mean, I have flown with my bike quite a bit. And when I do fly with it, it's a whole lot of money because I have that big case. Um, but I try to avoid that, quite frankly. And I, I, I feel like I fly with so many different kind of bikes I'm just not sure because I mountain bike so much like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm flying with my mountain bike or I'm flying with my gravel bike or sometimes my well rarely my road bike it would usually be my gravel or my mountain bike I wouldn't have a travel you don't have a travel mountain bike do you? no no yeah I don't think that would be a, cool <laughs> that would be next level yeah I, yeah I I I tend if I can if there's a place that I know and so many of these races have that, you know, that you can just ship your bike to the designated bike shop and it's included even in your registration fee and they put it together. And wow. Yeah. A, okay. a lot of places will do that. Uh, and it's, it, it takes a lot of the hassle out of it for you. How much, you know, say you're flying from your home in Pennsylvania to, mm-hmm. uh, well, to Kansas, dirty Kansas, how much give or take, you know, roughly is bike flights charging these days? And I know they just inked a deal with UPS, so they now have another weapon in their arsenal. That's a great question. And I'm trying to remember what I paid because I really just used them when I went out to Idaho and I was pleasantly surprised. It's not that much. It's, uh-huh. it's. 50? I mean, it, it really wasn't that much uh, to, to do it. And it's not, and you don't have to, um, 
you know, you need to give it a little more lead time. I mean, the, obviously, the longer sure. lead time, the, the less expensive it is. Mm-hmm. But it's it was not outrageously long lead time. Like, I didn't feel like, oh, I can't be without my bike for two weeks or something. It wasn't it wasn't like that. Hmm. So I'm I'm I've become a really big fan of this just for that reason because it's just like one less thing. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm going to remain a fan of travel bikes for, for most of what I do. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's like I was in Hawaii once and on vacation and we'd been there a few days hanging out with family and whatnot. And, uh, I think it was Tuesday evening. I was like, Hey, do we have any plans, specific plans Thursday? And everybody looked around and went, no. I said, what would you all feel about me flying over in the morning to Maui and riding Haleakala and being back in time for dinner? And they're like, yeah, sure, go for it. And that turned out to be a little bit more of an adventure than I meant for it to be, but it could never- How could it not be? (laughs) What did you think you were doing? Um, Well, You were going to the coffee shop to get donuts. You were flying- yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're you're right on all scores. Uh, I did not take the first flight out. I took the second flight out, which was maybe not optimal. I did get the last flight back on the day, but the only way I was able to make that was by being completely naked in a rental car driving through, uh, uh, yeah, driving down the highway in Maui, changing as I was driving to the uh, rental car place. <laughs> I mean, there's no way I was the first naked person in a rental car in Hawaii. There's no way that that's a thing. Maybe the first person alone. (laughs) (laughs) That's for a different podcast. (laughs) But, you know, I turns out my math abilities north of 7000 feet of elevation do suffer some. Hmm. And so I believe what I call optimistic Optimistic dude time. I, I mean, that, 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 may, that, might, that might be sexist, but man, I wish I had. I call it optimistic dude time because all the That's guys fair. I all the guys I ride with are like, "I oh, will be home in a half hour," and I'm like, "No, we won't. Like, we're, we're sixty miles away. What are you talking about? They're just they just operate in a different. And I'm I'm kind of envious of it. I wish I could walk into the, that that time warp because it's joyful. They, they're not even worried. They're just like, yeah, we'll be home. And then of course they get home and they're, they're late for everything, but it's, it's, it's amazing to me. Yeah. So I feel I, like there might've been a tinge of optimistic dude time going oh, on there. Well, I had worked out like a specific, you know, this is when I should turn around. I had a time. Right. This is when I should turn around. And if I don't turn around here, then I have an absolute drop dead turnaround time here. It was one of those things like, and well, if you're you? really close, uh, no, blew through, right through. <laughs> and then there was the fact that I didn't park in the place that I, I had originally intended to park. I was like, no, I'll just drive, I'll park in Paia where the, the kind of official climb of Haleakala begins. If you do it the right way from the lowest possible elevation, you're riding from Paia. And uh, I wasn't, I didn't originally intend to park there. I was going to park a little closer to the real climb. And I didn't do that. And I blew through that very last drop dead turnaround time, which I had allowed myself. Like if I was a mile and a half from, from the finish, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll I'll blow through the turnaround time. But definitely if I, if I haven't gotten to the finish to the top by this point, I definitely, definitely, definitely have to turn around. And I, 
blew through that too. And, and so <laughs> of I was, of course you did. I was throwing stuff in the case. I was descending at almost 60 miles an hour at times, completely wound out the 5012, completely wound that action out, couldn't wow. even get the chain to bite, and was passing cars on the descent, uh, got a two-wheel s- slide uh, lower down once I got back into the, the eucalyptus forest, and yeah, drifted a couple inches uh you know, across the, the dampish pavement. But yeah, I got back to the car and was just throwing stuff into the case, not bothering with pads, didn't take the stem <laughs> off the bar, managed to get the case closed, you know, yeah, naked in the rental car and, you know, salt caked up on my temples as I sit down in the car, uh, sit down in the plane. Uh, it was yeah, I, I mean, it was one of those things. If if the sun had gone down on me and I was still on Maui, there would have been hell to pay. And uh, so I, I knew better than to let that happen. But I was. It's good use of a, of a travel bike, though. I was I was 300 seconds from spending the night there. <laughs> Maybe not even. Yeah. So excellent. Uh, yeah. So get a travel bike, folks. You too. And, 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 Can be and naked in a rental time. car. Yeah. yeah. What, what's what's it called? One more time. Optimistic. Optimistic dude time. Dude time. Yeah. Okay. Guilty as charged. Yeah, yeah. Totally. That's all right. It's, I, again, the, I'm, I'm I'm saying that with all with all envy. I, it's not a, you know, it's I, it's it's, it, it's an interesting quality. It's a. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm not. I don't know how I can come up with a sales pitch for it because it really only <laughs> mostly ever gets me in trouble. Oh yeah, no, it does. But you know, like, but you're happy, you know, like. <laughs> so yeah, I enjoyed the ride. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay. What do you say, paceline picks? Sure. Um, and I am going to. It's funny. I I feel like Gore must have been listening because a real Gore rain cap showed up. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> So, and it is, I am, un- I, as, as we, anyone who's listening knows, I love, and I think you love too, the shake dry stuff, right? The shake yeah. dry. Oh yeah. Joy material. And it is a gore shake dry rain cap, <laughs> which is a lovely thing. I mean, it actually, it fits under the helmet <laughs> and it's of that thin shake dry material and it's got, you'll appreciate a reflectiveness to it. So for low light conditions, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, there, you can't, it, I it, it has a sensible brim, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's an it's an actual like rain cap. Sailboat. It's it's it will not give me whiplash if a stiff wind comes up underneath my. Um, it's fine. It's it's, it's a very functional thing. It's very yeah. light. It's super light. Well, they uh, they do a real good job, and I mean, I think it's just great now really that you've got job. some options on this stuff. You know, Seal Skins does one. Uh, there's the sportful one that I talked about yep. a few weeks yep. back. There's this gore one. Now that you have the correct one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right tool for the job. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I, I, uh, it sounds like you could use all those rain caps, uh, right now. Yeah. Well, there was you one day where I wore on a different caps. one because the other one was still kind of cold and damp from the previous <laughs> ride. It was, I mean, it's. You know, it was, it just, it was the way I laid it down. It was still damp on the inside and I'd laid it down, you know, top up. Yeah. That was a mistake. Yeah. This, I don't know how warm, I mean, you're, this was, this isn't a, uh, 
mutt or a mute or whatever you call that thing that right the, not insulated no, it's not just insulated. a barrier it's just a, yeah it's just a barrier and it turns out a barrier does a whole hell of a lot oh yeah 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 it keeps your head dry <laughs> so <that's, laughs> magic thing that yeah it's a uh, windproof and waterproof so it will definitely keep your head dry yeah well speaking of stuff for <laughs> wet cold weather you got, I'm gonna do you got little, some too I bet yeah I'm gonna do a little twofer so there are n- two okay. new neoprene gloves on the market one pair from Castelli, another from Velotoes. And I have used them both in the last two gravel events I've ridden. They're pretty terrific. The Velotoes, Velotoes waterproof cycling gloves come in three sizes and come up about a third of the forearm in terms ah. of that cuff. Uh, stitching is internal and the seams are sealed on the outside. It's a good length to keep the glove beneath long sleeves, even mm-hmm. if the sleeve starts to ride up some when you're in the drops. They've got a rubbery finish on the outside and the fabric finish on the inside is what you would expect from neoprene. The grip on these is terrific. You'll never ever operate a smartphone, but that's a separate issue. Uh, it's pouring but, rain. You don't need to operate your smartphone. Bingo. Yeah, I'm yeah. not taking selfies on, on a <laughs> ride like Fish Rock. Uh, yeah. But the, they're really sticky, and so they're great for gripping the bar, for being able to hold on to the levers. I'd wear Catching these long passes. Yeah, if I was a wide receiver, I would <laughs> definitely wear these. <laughs> they do. Uh, they wear those gloves. It was in the rain, and you want to, like Tom Brady's hailing one out to you? Yeah. You got to catch that. Yeah, yeah. I doubt the gloves they're using are quite this sticky. Seriously. So, and then the others are the Castelli Deluvio C gloves. And they're a bit more of a traditional neoprene with a fabric finish both inside and out. They also come in three sizes. The cuff on the glove is about an inch shorter than that on the Velo Toes. And that can at times expose your forearms just a little bit if the sleeves ride up. The stitching is external and exposed and not sealed. Um, And then there's a a silicone print on the palm and fingers uh, for grip. It's not quite as grippy as the Velo Toes, but I don't want to say it's not grippy enough. It's plenty grippy. It's just not insanely grippy. Mm -hmm. Overall, I'd say the, the the gloves are both very close in quality, but I'd give the edge in terms of fit and workmanship and function to the Velo Toes. The, the actual cut of the fingers, um, the, the fingers of the gloves are actually a little more finger-shaped, not mm-hmm. as flat, pancake shaped. Right, right. The Velo Toes are a little more expensive. They're $48, $9 more than the Castelli's at $39. But I think that makes both of the gloves a really great value. You know, if you don't want to spend 50 bucks on a pair of gloves, uh, pair of gloves, buy the Castellis. But if you want what are very probably the best pair of neoprene gloves on the market today, go with the Velotoes. Hmm. So I have to ask you a couple questions about that. Yeah. Because um, I have a pair of Shower Pass. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Do they have that plasticky kind of feel feel about them? Like, are, do you, when you put your... Like, what do they feel like when you put your hands in them? Like, I, I have a, I don't love the the feel of traditional neoprene. Well, yeah, I just don't. So it's still, it's got that fabric backing to it, but mm-hmm. you know, neoprene even with that fabric backing still feels a little rubbery. Yeah, the Velotoes yeah. are 
purely rubber. I mean, they look like a, a wetsuit on the outside. They don't, you know, wow. uh, they, wow. you know, the, the rubbery. They look like Velotoes? Uh, Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. The, 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 the Velotoes gloves look like, you know, there are those wetsuits that look rubbery on the outside that don't have that fabric backing or that yes, fabric yes, yes, finish. Yes. That's what the Velotoes look like. It's just, it's a rubber uh, finish to the outside. And that's why they're so grippy. The inside has that fabric mm-hmm. and, you know, it still you feels a little. Breathe at all? No, no, no they, they, no, bad. they, yeah. they, they breathe like a milk jug. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, there's not breathing going on. And so, yeah, you do accumulate moisture on the inside, but that moisture is the same temperature as your hands. So. Right. Right. I am disinclined to complain, given that I'm riding through 30 degrees. Yeah, yeah, no, that's rain. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, it was a it was a definite proving ground for them. They really worked. Yeah, gloves are tricky. I mean, gloves are gloves are they they're important and they're tricky. Yeah, so. yeah. It's uh, there's always a learning curve there, and so these two are are nice additions to what's uh, available out there. Um, and you know, because it's a, a much, uh, there's much less material. There's not all that insulation you get with mm-hmm. other waterproof gloves. Yeah. The dexterity is just so much better. So if you're riding with, uh, STI or DI2, it's a whole lot easier to feel your way through the shifts. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense too. Yeah. DI2 and a big puffy glove. It's not happening. No, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, uh, it's the opposite of ideal. well what have you been up to on bicycling lately what are you going to share with us um i'm actually gonna share somebody else's post because i thought it was so good uh they leah flickinger who is the former editor at bicycling did a really really wonderful piece uh you know there's been so much in the news and in the media about depression in athletes and depression in cyclists, you know, there's, there's been the, the suicide. So she did this lovely piece having a lot of pro cyclists talk about their experiences with depression. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's just really good. It's, it's worth checking out. Just, you know, just if, if, even if you don't have any depressive issues yourself, it's just, it's still a really good read. And it, I think it just gives you a lot of insight uh, that you might not otherwise have. Yeah, I think it's a, a great way to, to get a handle on what friends may be going through. And I love the fact that she interviewed three men and three women because yep. just the di- gender difference in terms of what people are willing to share is significant. So it's a, it's a I don't want to say a lovely portrait, but it's a, a really helpful and insightful. Well, it portrait. just also normalizes the conversation. And anything we can do to continue to normalize the conversation, I think, is very worthwhile. And it really, really, really if there's anything that was intended or unintended that came out of it, it really drove home the fact that we need to understand concussions and how they affect mental health. It's all that that came through again and again and again. Like just how the concussions led to depression, that led to you know just this dark cave that people couldn't get out of. It, it's yeah. Yeah. And, and, and doctors don't, you know, like they, they just, a lot, you'll read like in a lot of these cases that people were just sent home, just sent home with like, without yeah. any, any in, like, oh, you might feel if you feel these anything just. Yeah. You'd never do that with a broken arm. Yeah. It's, we need, we need, there's a lot of work to be done. 
Yeah. And I, I think that was one of the other really helpful things about that piece is helping people understand that depression, or at least I hope this is the takeaway that a lot of people get from it, is that depression caused by a concussion is not different from other depression. It all manifests in the same way. Right, people, right. people have the same thoughts. They have the same reactions. They have the same struggles. Some of the treatment yeah, but, might be a little different, but... But it might be nice to know that that might be coming your way. You know, oh, I mean... Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, or, or to be on alert for a friend after they've had a bad crash totally. that way. Totally. Yeah. 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 So what do you it have? Was, uh, well, I was going to recommend that the the piece that I wrote about fish rock uh, and the, the question that I get to in the end, which uh, I'm going to spoil here, that being, <laughs> you know, when is enough enough? How, how yeah. much is enough? And realizing that I don't have an answer for that. And I never really knew that that was a question. It never occurred to me that that was a question. Really? Yeah. The funny thing was, like, I stopped racing crits because on Sundays when I was usually racing crits, I had a bunch of friends who were off in Malibu riding the canyon roads that I adored. And I was like, wait, they're having all this fun. I'm I'm at this stupid industrial park. You're <laughs> going around at four point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, why am I doing this? I'm not doing the ride that I would most enjoy. And so that's when I stopped racing. And yeah, I would spend my weekend days, you know, climbing these canyon roads and descending them at warp speed. And it was just a chance for me to chase something that was tougher in a way that I wanted to tackle. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that doing a master's one, two, three crit wasn't a challenge. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. It was an enormous challenge, but I was never going to be the fastest guy there. And that, you know, having that kind of fitness just wasn't even that interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But being a better climber, being a better technical descender, those things really interested me. And I've always looked for those events that were as hard as possible. I went and did the Killington Stage Race as a Cat 4 because mm-hmm. that was literally the hardest event you could enter as a Cat yeah. 4. And so I've been on this quest of like, well, what's the hardest thing I can find and throw You're going to find out it. soon. <laughs> Sorry, and did I say well, that out loud? Yeah. Now I've bumped up against it and I don't, you know, it's like, a, it's a whole new question of like, well, okay, when's, an, when is enough? What, what is hard Give me enough? a call when you're 165 miles out in, from M- Emporia. Because uh. <laughs> <laughs> I will you have my have phone an with me. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I remember being on crew for Ram for Shauna Hogan back in oh, 1996. That's and, too much for me. Forget it. Well, I, I, I was just on crew and it was Saturday morning. I didn't know it was Saturday morning cause I hadn't been sleeping and I called my boss's voicemail. He wasn't there cause it was Saturday morning. And my whole message to him was, dude, you owe me. <laughs> That's a whole other yeah. yeah. So you, yeah. Watch, watch your voicemail. You, you may get something from me. <laughs> a friend of mine was calling me. He was texting me from, they did Kansas the first time last year. And he's just like, <laughs> I, I got, I got text messages from the tunnel. It was awesome. <laughs> 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 was like, that sounds like a book. We should just collect a whole bunch of those <laughs> or at least a post. Yes. 
Oh, all righty. Uh, well, hey, everybody, keep those questions coming. You all have been sending us some great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about the craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for cyclists. This week's show is uh, Nick Crumpton of Crumpton Cycles, uh, a recent award winner at NABS. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.